Hello, everyone. This is Mike Linstead, president and co-founder of the Nehemiah Project, and you are listening to the Nehemiah Project podcast, where we replace hopelessness with hope. Well, we are back on our podcast series entitled Biblical Answers for Modern Issues. Today, we are going to finish the book of 1 Corinthians by reading through the entire 16th chapter. It is 24 verses, and there are a couple of main points that we want to discuss today, and that will conclude the entire book. Wow. We've done it, Chad. We did it. I don't know when we started. I haven't. I didn't look that no. up before we got on the podcast, but it's definitely been close to a year, if not yeah. past that. There's and probably been a good, what, 40 episodes on it? A lot. Yeah, a lot. <laughs> And it's it's been such a rich study, mm-hmm. um, and it's so applicable to today's church. Oh yeah, um, you know that's the beauty of the Word of God is it's timeless. Its value mm-hmm. is uh, something that never fades. You know, yeah. and it can we can use it for I mean literally any day and age, and that's mm-hmm. certainly true of the Book of First Corinthians. Yeah, that's right. Especially you know our day and age certainly mirrors quite a bit of the same. <laughs> Um, false theologies and controversies that Paul was addressing here with yeah. the Corinthian church. Yeah, so like I said in the introduction, we're going to finish the book today, and that means we're going to read the entire 16th chapter. And there are three basic points that we want to mention because in those three points, really we, we have the summation of the purpose of this letter, which is which is to keep the church in unity and to make sure that the way that this unity is attained is by believing the doctrine of the faith, capital T, mm. capital F, the faith. And Paul says in the 13th verse, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act mm. like men, be strong, and let all that you do be done in love, which is really like his encouragement yeah. to the true believers in Corinth. Whereas in verse 22, he says, if anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed which is really like the warning for those who are in this particular church who by their actions are clearly showing that they don't have any love for the Lord. And so we're going to get into this this text today, but um, there's also some really interesting historical notes mm-hmm. that, um, Chad, why don't you just go ahead and mention those right now at yeah. the forefront? Yeah, so when it comes to First and Second Corinthians, there are actually four letters uh, most scholars would agree. And we can see the evidences of this um, in... In the scriptures, in 1 Corinthians 5, 9, it refers, Paul refers to writing a previous letter. And so as he was doing his ministering journeys, especially in his second missionary journey in Acts 18, um, he heard about the immorality, and so he wrote a letter that was lost. We don't have that letter. But then upon hearing further trouble in the church, he writes this letter that we've been going through ourselves. Mm -hmm. And then after this letter gets to them, the Corinthians do not repent immediately, and Paul has to uh, write a third letter that he sends with Timothy um, of a further uh, understanding of these difficulties. We see this referred to in, in 2 Corinthians um, chapter 7, where it talks about a letter that really hurt them, where Paul is talking about how, you know, he's grieved. He doesn't like that it grieved them, but he's thankful it grieved them into repentance, into godly sorrow. Mm-hmm. And then Second Corinthians really is the fourth letter that's addressing some continual false teaching, especially questioning Paul's apostleship that he he deals with with there. So all in all, Paul, dealing with these issues that we're talking about, wrote four different letters 
over the course of time to address uh, these sin issues that we we see here in in First Corinthians. Yeah, in First Corinthians chapter five verse nine, that's one of the mentions that you had said mm-hmm. there, Chad. It, Paul says, "I wrote." to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Yeah. So even though this is the book of 1 Corinthians, yeah. technically it's the second letter that Paul wrote, yeah. and that's part of the evidence for it there. <clears throat> and then if you fast forward over here to 2 Corinthians, like you mentioned chapter 7, yeah. um, Paul <clears throat> speaks about another letter that he had written, uh, both in chapter 7 of 2 Corinthians as well as the second chapter of second corinthians mm-hmm. particularly in verse four of chapter two he says for i wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears not to cause you pain but to let you mm-hmm. know the abundant love that i have for you mm-hmm. so technically if you subscribe to the four letter theory because mm-hmm. it's either four letters or three letters yeah if you subscribe to the four letter theory then technically first and second corinthians are letters two and letters right. four. We call them first and second because it's it's the two that we have. So it's the it's more in chronological order. First Corinthians is the first letter that we have, and Second Corinthians is the other letter that we have. <laughs> but they're not the all of the letters that Paul sent to the Corinthian right. church. And so that historical background will take <laughs> on a fresh meaning as we get through this sixteenth chapter. So Chad, let's read Chapter 16. I'll read the first 12 verses, and why don't you finish off the final 12 verses, huh? I'll do it. Okay. Here's verse 1. It says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up, as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I'll stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits." But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease, see that you put him at ease among you, for he's doing the work of the Lord as am I. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace, that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers. It was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has the opportunity. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanius were the first converts of Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these and to every fellow worker and laborer. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanius and Fortunatus. Did I say that right? I hope so. <laughs> and Achaicus, <laughs> because they have made up for your absence. For they refresh my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. Mm-hmm. The churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, come. 
The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you and all, all in Christ Jesus. Amen. Wow. So I love how he ends that because you see the kindness and severity yeah. of really, really the Lord's commissioned representative in the Apostle Paul, mm-hmm. right? And I see why you gave me the second half with all those names and stuff. That's, that's exactly I was plotting. <laughs> but I want to work backwards in this chapter here. So let's start really with the, the, the meaning there of uh, verses 21 through 24. So Paul says that he's writing this with his own hand, mm-hmm. which is really important mm-hmm. because if you know the epistles well, you know that in Galatians, somebody was disturbing those churches because they were uh, writing a letter as if it was being written by Paul right. and distributing it and basically telling them that they have to observe the law of Moses and be circumcised in addition to their faith. Yeah, And so someone was... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Forging. Right forging, thank you. Someone was forging Paul. Mm-hmm. So he has to sit here and write, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand, which yeah. is interesting because I think he does something similar in um, Galatians where he says, see, look how big letters I write, right? <laughs> yeah. um, he's real mad in that letter, by the mm-hmm. way. But um, it was thought that Paul had an eye problem. Um, if you know anything about Paul, uh, you can kind of see this pop up in his letters every now and then. It was thought that he had some sort of eye issue by certain scholars, like he was somewhat blind, he couldn't see very well, which may be the case because if you know about his conversion story, yeah, yeah I mean, it the Lord blinded sense. him, right? Yeah. The Lord literally was, when he shown himself to Paul, was brighter than the sun at noonday. Yeah. And that would blind you. And he right? had scales over his eyes for three days. That's so. right. So it's very, very... Um, Potential. I don't know the word. I'm mm-hmm. having trouble with my words today. It's very so, likely. Thank you. There could be scars on his eyes. He could have some issues. Yeah. So maybe the reason why I bring that up is maybe uh, the Corinthians would have recognized his handwriting, right? Yeah. So it says, see, I, Paul, write this with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Mm-hmm. Maranatha, our Lord come, right? Yeah. So you see the the severity there with, with the yeah. reality that if you don't, love the Lord Jesus Christ, then you are already underneath the mm-hmm. curse of God. Yeah, and I think it has a couple of connotations too. I think everything you said is right, just proving Paul's authorship, but also it also has the, the connotation of like, I'm writing this with my own hand. I'm not having somebody else dictate this. I'm writing this down. So listen up. Right. If anyone be, a, like I'm telling you from straight from my lips, yeah. if anyone... Um, has no love for the Lord, let him be a curse. Like, yeah. Paul, I, Paul, am saying this. And yes. It, and it has some authority with it. You totally. Know? That word in the Greek means devoted to destruction. Mm-hmm. And the reason why we brought that historical context up was it's very likely that Paul had particular people in mind here. Mm-hmm. This isn't just a generalized statement, although it certainly does have that application. Yeah, It's very likely that Paul is referring specifically to the false teachers and false apostles yeah. in the Corinthian church. Mm-hmm. In the second Corinthians letter that we have in the Bible, Paul refers to these uh, individuals as quote unquote super apostles, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, these guys are just, he, he's being very sarcastic, right? Yeah. These guys are just super apostles. They're just so holy. Yeah, they're so holy. <laughs> They've suffered so much. Yeah, they haven't. And then he goes on to list his sufferings, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's like, no, they, they have not done a single thing 
that would qualify them right. um, from any perspective for the office of apostleship, mm-hmm. right? And so um, it's very likely that he has those individuals in mind. However, the general principle still applies. I'm reminded of what the um, John the Baptist says in John chapter 3. He says this in verse 35 and 36, "'The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him.'" Now, remember the connection between obedience and love. Jesus says in John 14, 15, "'If you love me, you will obey my commands.'" Mm -hmm. Right. So those are synonymous terms in their overall um, meaning, right? Yeah. To obey the Lord from the heart is to reveal that you love the Lord, right? Mm-hmm. So it's likely that there is a specific application and a general application in verse 22 there. One final mention of the significance of that verse in particular is if you've been following this podcast series, you know the purpose of the whole letter of 1 Corinthians. Yeah, It's a letter of correction, right? Paul is calling out sin yeah, as a, a good pastor. And there's a lot of it. There's a ton of it. We went through a lot of it. We went through all of it, right? And even in chapter five, there was sin that not even the Gentiles did, right? Didn't, yeah. The pagans didn't even do some of the stuff that was going on yeah, in this, this is, particular church. This is morphing into something that's even beyond, you know, Paul's belief. Like, what are you Yeah. What are you doing, essentially? Right. You, you guys are out of line. And so uh, verse 22, really, it really is the exclamation point in terms of the sternness with which Paul has had to address this congregation. Mm. He has had to be very black and white and very stern because at the end of the day, what's at stake here is people's souls. That's right. It's people's souls at stake here. And it's loving to, to tell the truth. Like Paul's rebuke here and sternness is one of love. We, we see this not only in this book, but if you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 7, when he talks about that idea of grieving them, he says, you know, I don't like that I grieved you, but I'm also thankful because it grieves you into repenting. Yes. You had godly sorrow that led to repentance. That's for their good. Yeah. Because without godly repentance from these sins, they're destined for hell. Mm-hmm. And it's always right. It's always loving to tell the truth. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> the ones who truly love you are the ones who will look you in the eye and say, that's that's not okay. That's a sin against God, and you need to repent because mm-hmm. that's for protection for your soul. For if if anyone would appease your sin or overlook it without uh, holding you responsible, those are not your true friends, and those are not people that love you. They love themselves because mm-hmm. they do that in a way to just not have to confront it and not have to say the hard thing. Mm-hmm. And those who love you are the ones who say the hard thing. And Paul loved the Corinthian church. They had many things that most of us would have given up on them so long ago. Yeah. I mean, all these things Paul's addressing is like, are you kidding me? Like, are these even Christians? You right. know? But Paul doesn't. Paul loves them enough to continue to write them letters, continue yeah. to rebuke them and and lay out the gospel for them. And you bring up uh, uh, something that's worth mentioning here. It's like, why? Why is Paul so steadfast in his commitment to people? Mm-hmm. Well, I would be willing to bet that it's for this reason. He knows the sovereignty of God he understands that it does not matter how grim a situation may present itself to be, Mm -hmm. that the Lord is able to save. The Lord is able to finish the good work that he's completed in you. 
I mean, Paul himself was a murderer. He killed Christians in the name of God. Mm -hmm. Okay, I don't know if it gets much worse than that. And yet he was confronted by the Lord Jesus Christ, blinded and transformed for the power of the gospel. Mm -hmm. And so Paul knows this from personal experience, and he also knows the scriptures. Paul's a Pharisee of Pharisees, studied the Old Testament from age three and up, had to memorize vast portions of the Old Testament in preparation for becoming a Pharisee. This man knows it from a theological, quote-unquote, textbook perspective, Mm -hmm. and he knows it from personal experience. So Paul's not going to give up quickly, right? He knows how to stay the course. As he said in 2 Timothy, I have fought the good fight, right? Mm -hmm. And so I would be willing to bet that that was undergirding a lot of Paul's really just uh, toughness, you know? I mean, he was a tough pastor, right? He would call it out as he saw it in love, in compassion, but he would he would not beat around the bush, mm-hmm. right? You, you said this the other day. Paul was probably not that easy to be around all no. the time, especially if you were not very serious about your faith or if you were walking in sin. He was probably oh, yeah. difficult. You'd avoid him. <laughs> yeah. You'd avoid him. Yeah. You'd avoid it because, you, I mean, look, men love darkness rather than light, mm-hmm. and Paul's a light bearer, right? Mm-hmm. He's coming with the light. Yeah, and you don't want to be in the light if you love your sin, right? Mm-hmm. So you don't want to be around Paul. And it's not like he was unbearable. I mean, he, you can no. see his heart just bleeding well, we, on these pages, right? I mean, we see with when he starts talking about Stephanus and yeah, we're going to go know, to that next. Like, you know, he had obviously Aquila and Priscilla. There's many Timothy, Titus. There were many that were close friends with Paul, and mm-hmm. and and he treats Timothy like a son, like. We certainly see the compassionate, gentle side of Paul too. Yeah, yeah. It's not that he was just a tyrant running around yeah. pointing out everybody's sins, but right. but if you had sin, he's going to tell you. And that's because of his love and his compassion. <laughs> that's right. Right. That's right. It's because of his love and compassion. And we should all be like that. We should. Really. Man, if we were, I think the Church of Jesus Christ would be a lot more effective than it currently is. It'd certainly be a lot more pure. Yeah. I think that's what comes with it, you know? Mm-hmm. God is not so much concerned uh, in, in what you're doing as he, as much as he's concerned in the person doing it, right? Mm-hmm. Like he wants a holy and pure vessel, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I mean, I think that if we were, if we did take sin seriously, um, as it as seriously as it took us, right? Yeah. I mean, its desire is to kill us. Yeah. Why is our, well, how come our desire is not to kill it in that's the right. power of the Spirit of God? Yeah. You know what I mean? That's right. And uh, I think that if we if we really were more like Paul, um, the Church of Jesus Christ would be very pure, right? Mm-hmm. Now, of course, that's a statement that's very hard to quantify or qualify, sure. right? But the sentiment is is true, right? Mm-hmm. That Jesus Christ will have a spotless bride, right? He yeah. will have a a blameless, pure, holy, dressed in white bride. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Revelation, we see it coming down out of God, out of heaven from God, right? Mm-hmm. And so, um, anyways, that's enough of that tangent, but. I think verses verse twenty two is is a specific uh, application, a general application, and it does reveal the seriousness with which this pastor, the apostle Paul, views sin and it views those who don't love the Lord Jesus Christ. They're already under the curse. He says, if they don't want to repent and come, let them go. Right, yeah. and yeah. so moving up to verses fifteen through eighteen, then we see the kind of people that Paul commends. Right, he says, now I urge you, brothers and sisters. You know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Acacia and that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these and to every fellow worker and laborer. So it's an interesting thing there to realize that 
these people were subject or were were um, being commended by Paul to the congregation, and they had devoted themselves as workers and laborers in the service of the gospel. Right. right? You know, I'm reminded of what Jesus Christ said that if you want to be great in the kingdom, you must be the servant of all. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's what the kingdom of God is about. Right. Serving one another mm-hmm. out of love for one another. Right. And Paul is holding up that standard here, basically. Mm-hmm. He's saying, look, you know, Stephanus, you know, these other individuals that he goes on to mention that I don't want to try to name because you've, <laughs> you've butchered it well enough, Chad. <laughs> I can barely speak English. Come on now. Look what he says in verse 18 at the very end. Give recognition to such people. Right. Yeah. These are the people that, that you, Corinthians, should be seeking to emulate. Yeah. Because remember, as we've gone throughout this book, who do they want to emulate? Those who were wise, those who were mighty and powerful, mm-hmm. those who were rich and of noble birth, right? right. The philosophers of the time. Right. Else. And that's what the world values, mm-hmm. right? Not much the, different than today. That's the human heart, right? Mm-hmm. The world doesn't value the lowly. The world doesn't fellowship with those who have a broken and contrite spirit right. like the Lord does. But But Paul's pointing these individuals out and say, look, you should you should honor these people. You should respect these people. He even says in verse 16, be subject to such as these. Like yeah. if they ask you to do something, do it. Right. Mm-hmm. Like they're the great ones in the kingdom. Right. I love that. Is it such a contrast with verse 22? You oh, know? Yeah. <clears throat> well, and you can go to so many other passages about that idea of servanthood among the brothers and the sisters among the body, the one yeah. another's, right? And <clears throat> man, that's so true because Everybody wants to be served. Everybody wants to be made much of. Everybody wants to have positions. Mm-hmm. Everybody wants to have identities. Titles. Titles. Authority. Nobody wants to be the one that just, man, you just love and serve everybody in the gospel. You know, you love them with the gospel. You serve them. You care for them. You pray for them. You just really submit yourself to. Yeah. That seems like such, that is such a counter to the worldly mm-hmm. idolatry, but. It is should be so true of the bride of Christ. Yeah, there should be so many people in within the church that are trying to outdo one another in love. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Yeah, Paul says outdo one another in honor and showing yeah. one another honor yeah. in Romans, Romans twelve mm-hmm. nine through twenty one. And um, think about that kind of a sight. Like you show up in that church and just, I mean, almost words like annoying, where people are just like, "No, let me do this for you. No, let me do this for you." <laughs> <laughs> it's like, all right, okay, look, someone needs to be the Some, one being served right, here. Right. <laughs> yep, I hear you. But hear that's kind of the idea, right? Like, oh man, like we can't we can't get anywhere because everybody's trying to serve somebody else. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> so I want to just point out the contrast again before we move on to verse thirteen, as we work our way backwards backwards through this chapter. Paul is saying, look at these servants among you, emulate them, and give recognition to them. And by the way, those who you would look at as being praiseworthy, these quote unquote super apostles, mm-hmm. right? Who are really just after your money as he gets into in second Corinthians, they're to be accursed. <laughs> you got to understand guys, like stop acting like the world has been like the resounding call from the apostle Paul. Like yeah. stop being like the world Corinthian church and start to emulate your savior. Mm-hmm. So on that note, verse 13 really is, I think, the the exclamation point to this entire letter. Be watchful. Literally in the Greek, stay awake, mm-hmm. right? Be vigilant in the figurative. 
Stand firm, military term, right? Stand firm in the faith. Act like men, be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Amen. So be watchful is something that the Lord Jesus Christ said all of the time to his mm-hmm. disciples, particularly in the context of it when he was teaching on the end times. Yeah. Stay awake, right? Be vigilant, be watchful. Um, Peter tells us to be watchful, right? For our adversary, mm-hmm. the devil, roams the earth yeah. like a roaring lion seeking someone to right. devour. So this command is like a big like exclamation point that's flashing red in scripture. It tells you to be watchful when it comes to your own pride and sin, like take heed lest you fall, right? Mm-hmm. That same idea. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we're to be on alert when it comes to the sin of the world, the sin of our own flesh. First mm-hmm. John 2, 15 through 17, right? The, the pride of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, um all those things we should be watchful for. And I like how you said it earlier. Our sin has been trying to destroy and kill us, but the ways of sin is death. Mm-hmm. Why would we not be on the offensive as Christians right. towards our sin and towards Satan and be like Ephesians 6 through 10, put on the full armor of God and waging war against the spiritual forces, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. um, having that idea and that mind among ourselves. Um, but we don't. We, because of our flesh, because of the temptation, we tend to keep our sin around like a, like a unwanted pet mm-hmm. that we we say we hate, but yet we let it live within our within our house mm-hmm. and feed it from time to time and wonder why it bites us every once in a while. Yeah, for <laughs> real. We're to be watchful against sin. We're to be watchful against Satan. We're to be watchful against false teaching, as it says in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. Uh, yeah. We're to be watchful against spiritual deadness, like Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 through 2 tells us. And then mm. we're to be watchful for the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. It tells us that in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 11. Yeah. There's lots to be watchful for, right? Mm-hmm. But notice what Paul says immediately after that command, be watchful. Then he says, stand firm, in Mm. the faith yeah this is a parallel uh synonym here Mm -hmm. like it's the same meaning but stand firm is the same type of command but then he qualifies it stand firm in what in the faith right okay in the what does that mean it means the collective body of doctrine that the lord jesus christ taught me as his representative Mm -hmm. personally that i've now taught you that's right that's right and there's so many uh, uh, different places in Scripture, whether it be in um, Galatians one, where Paul talks about if any if anyone teaches you any other thing other yeah. than an angel like, or even me, yeah, do not listen to it. <clears throat> he he reminds Titus and Timothy to <clears throat> teach sound doctrine and never remove from it. And this idea of stand firm reminds me of Galatians five one, where Paul says something very similar. <clears throat> for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. In, in that verse, there's an imperative there because <clears throat> we're to stand firm in the faith. And it kind of gives us clarity on Galatians 5. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore. That standing firm is on the gospel of Christ, right? The same thing mm-hmm. Paul's saying here. And in Galatians 5, uh, verse 1, it tells us, do not submit again to a yoke of slavery, which tells us there's a potential for even a believer to walk back into a slavery of their own sin, mm-hmm. to choose it. And 
that's what he's warning against here in standing firm, right? Standing firm in the faith. Standing firm in the faith is what will protect us from submitting again to a yoke of slavery, yeah. of sin and death. From everything that we've been delivered from. Exactly. You know, in 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 9, it says, Take courage and be men, mm-hmm. O Philistines, yeah. lest you become slaves to the Hebrews as they have been to you. Be men and fight. Mm-hmm. So these are the enemies of God saying the same thing. You know, be a man, right? Yeah. You remember the old term, maybe your grandpa said to you, yeah. right? Because nowadays, you know, that's a very offensive term, <laughs> right. right? Be a man, dude, right? right? I or, think we all man know. Man up. Man up, right? It's the same <laughs> idea, right? And, and he says, act like men, after he says, stand firm in the faith, be strong. Yeah. But lest you think that that means be domineering, mm-hmm. then he balances it out with, let all that you do be done in Right. Love. A great place to see what it looks like to be a man is the Sermon on the Mount. Yeah. Um, or going even back to Genesis when God created Adam in the first place. What was what was his role? Was to steward, was to take responsibility for the earth, was to reflect his glory, was to keep the commandment. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. It, it was it was this idea of this priest king, and you see that all throughout mm-hmm. scripture. Being a man is is um the the attributes are things like courage. Mm-hmm. Courage comes from the fear of the Lord and trusting the Lord, right? It, it, it's responsibility, stewardship. Mm-hmm. It's leadership. It's um, it's leading in love. It's it's being willing to to take on the the bear the burdens of others, mm-hmm. right? Galatians 6, 1. Like, there's so many aspects of what mm-hmm. it looks like to be a man. Mm-hmm. And so when we see this, you you cannot be a godly man without faith. Mm-hmm. That's not to say that women can't exemplify some of those very characteristics, but in general, oh, men, men are called to do that. And womanhood has some of the same things, but it's uniquely distinct. Right. And held in high esteem as well mm-hmm. in what it looks like to be a woman. Yeah. So we have those those two points that we've covered thus far. That was we've been working backwards in this sixteenth chapter, but I think verse thirteen really does uh, provide that exclamation point to those whom he's trying to encourage in this church body. Right? Be watchful. Pay attention, guys and girls. Pay attention. Stay awake. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong because you're going to be tested. You're going to be tested. The temptation to leave the faith will will poke up. It's head every now and then. You're going to be questioned. You're going to be you're going to be examined by those false believers mm-hmm. in this way. They're going to ask you, "Why do you even put up with that guy, Paul? Yeah. He's such a jerk, man. <laughs> He's always trying to just kill your joy, isn't he? That's right. He's always calling your sin out, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but he loves me and he cares about my soul. Yeah. Well, how do you know that? Because he tells me the word of God. Mm-hmm. That's how I know that. What do you tell me, right? And now the acting like a man starts to come out, right? The yeah. boldness of the spirit of God, right? That's right. Uh, it says in James, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Yeah. Right? You have to understand that, believer. If you are to act like a man and being strong and courageous in your faith, it's going to require boldness and courage. Mm-hmm. And that boldness and courage, I say, cannot be mustered up in and of yourself. No. You have to ask the Spirit of God to give it to you. And he will when you need it. He is faithful. And the third point that we want to mention here as we're working back is related, even though it may seem like it isn't, it is related to what 
Paul's thrust is here as he closes this beautiful book. And it has to do with the topic of giving. And yes, giving money. And there's a wonderful historical background here that would provide the context, but I won't bother us all with with all of it because I've already done a very deep dive on our podcast series entitled, What Does God Say About Money? Which I would encourage you to go back and listen to. But in the opening verses of this chapter, he says this, now concerning the collection for the saints. I'll stop there. What he's referring to there is a year plus long giving campaign that the apostle Paul embarked on every time he went on a uh, missionary journey. And specifically what that campaign consisted of was this. During the festival of Pentecost in Acts chapter two, you had tons of uh, Jews and proselytes coming into the city of Jerusalem. Proselytes are those Gentiles who have been converted to Judaism. And tons of them were pouring into the city for the celebration of the Feast of Pentecost. And what happens in Acts chapter two? The church is born, right? And so you have all of these visitors who have left their homeland to come to worship Yahweh, the God of Judaism, right? And the God of Christianity, um, who are now being converted to Christianity. And those who were in the city who were Jews and didn't convert may have been having some of these people in their house because the Jews were very hospitable people. But now they are calling Jesus Messiah and that's rubbing some of these more Orthodox Jews the wrong way. And so these visitors who have been converted may have found themselves homeless. And furthermore, Acts chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, tell us that through the prophet Agabus, he told us that God was bringing a famine on the land of Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. And by the way, as a side note, Chad, I can't help but think that that famine may have been because the Jewish nation rejected Messiah. As a side note, why else would it have come? I don't know. But the point is, is that that famine would have wrecked the economy of the Palestinian Israelite area, right? And it would have further put these newly converted Christians in a financial bind. Right. Okay. So Paul, because he desires unity amongst the Gentile and Jewish believers, as he goes around on his first missionary trip, he's telling these Gentile churches that they need to provide for their brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's what verse one refers to. Now concerning the collection for the saints. Okay. This was a well-known thing in the churches. Paul as he goes around on the first uh, missionary trip, tells all of the brothers and sisters who have just come to the Lord Jesus Christ that they are to, as he says in verse two, set aside on the first day of every week something as they have prospered for the collection of for the saints in Jerusalem. So as God blesses their work of their hands, they are to set aside a portion of the prophet every week and basically save it up for when Paul comes back around, which he did, Mm -hmm. right? And he's going to collect it all, right? Yeah. And you can follow this throughout 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. Real long discourse on that. And so the reason why Paul's doing that, again, is because he desires unity in the church, right? So the idea there then, as it pertains to everything else we've said, is that Christians are to desire unity. They are to desire the bond of peace in the spirit. Mm-hmm. As he says uh, earlier on in uh, in this chapter that, uh, or I'm sorry, in this book that 
believers are to have one unity through one spirit, and that is the same spirit who apportions to all those 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 uh, spiritual gifts that he talks about in 12, 13, and 14 of 1 Corinthians. Where does, we are to desire unity. Verse 13 tells us that we are to stand firm in the faith, and that is primarily because if anyone does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be accursed. Yeah. So we have finished the book of 1 Corinthians, and Paul ends it on um, that sort of note because the entire book, he's had to draw the line in the sand. Mm. Here's what the Lord teaches on these particular subjects that you have asked me about. Now, the question is, what are you going to do? Yeah. Are you going to repent and come underneath the Lordship of Jesus Christ? Or are you going to continue in your high-handed rebellion? Yeah. If you continue in your high-handed rebellion, then you're accursed. <clears throat> and he can say that definitive statement at the end because at that point of reading the letter, you know exactly what he means by not loving the Lord. Mm-hmm. He's addressed everything individually That's right, all the way through. And so we would encourage you, listener, if you are someone who does love the Lord, and you're going through a particularly hard time. Maybe you're being persecuted in your own particular way, whether you're listening to this in another country and it's physical persecution and violence, or you're mm. listening to this maybe in America where that isn't as pertinent, but there are still forms of ostracization and different forms of persecution. You know, we want to encourage you. Remember what the, the Apostle Paul says, be strong, act mm. like men, right? Let everything you do be done in love. Stand firm in the faith. Be watchful. Understand that, uh, as he said in, in the 15th chapter, be steadfast, immovable, understanding that all of your work that you're doing in the Lord is not being done in vain. That's right. The Lord will come back and you will see him as he is for you will be like him and you will be rewarded on that day with the crown that is eternal life. Yeah. I mean, what wonderful things the Apostle Paul has gone over right? Be encouraged. And remember what Paul said in chapter two, that if you even have understanding in the things of God, that is evidence that the spirit of God indwells you, right? If the spirit of God indwells you, you know, without a shadow of a doubt that you are eternally secure in your salvation. Mm. (laughs) I mean, these are, these are beautiful truths that should just encourage the heck out of you. Yeah. Right. They should. On the other side of the coin, (laughs) if you don't love the Lord Jesus Christ, understand the severity understand the seriousness, the solemnity with which you should re-examine your life because mm-hmm. the Lord will not be mocked. Whatever one sows, that he will also reap. Yeah. And when he comes back, you will be terrified of him because the day of grace has closed. It is over. Yeah. And the son has come back to take back his kingdom. Yeah. So we want to encourage you, if you don't know the Lord, please repent and come to the throne of grace. It says that everyone that calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For there is no other name under heaven by which men can be saved. So repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ today. Chad, any final words before we sign off today? Now you said that beautifully. The only thing I would add to it is the caveat to love the Lord our God with our heart, mind, body, and soul is we have to hate sin. You have to take sin very seriously in order for that to be true. But if you love Christ, that's not hard to do because you see that nothing this world offers is anywhere close to the beauty and the glory of God. Mm-hmm. Amen, amen. Well, we thank you all for listening to another episode of the Nehemiah Project Podcast, and we'll talk to you soon. 
Bye. Thanks for listening to the Nehemiah Project podcast. For more resources about addiction recovery, suicide prevention, and overcoming other life-controlling issues, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram and visit our website, tnproject.org. If you or someone you love is struggling, don't hesitate to reach out to us by calling 985-205-3022.